Welcome to the Whole Equestrian Podcast. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness, discussing topics related to mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. Our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. I am Dr. Tyler Held, a certified mental performance consultant, a lifelong learner, a gym owner, and a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I am without my favorite co-host, Emily Hamill, today because this will be another special guest edition of The Whole Equestrian. I have to tell you guys, I'm really excited to put out more episodes like this. I just had on Laura Crump Anderson, who is a personal trainer and equestrian fitness extraordinaire. I've got some stuff in the works with uh, nutrition experts, more fitness experts, potentially uh, just some exploratory lifestyle conversations about equestrians. And I'm getting a lot out of the conversations. I'm having a lot of fun. So I hope that you guys will have a lot of fun listening to them. So without further ado, I will go ahead and turn it over to the recording of my conversation with Courtney Carson. Hi guys, welcome to a very special guest episode of The Whole Equestrian. I'm here with Courtney Carson, who is an Olympic five-star groom, um, and she's also the U.S. coordinator for um, IGA, the International Grooms Association, and she's going to talk to us all about that today. So Courtney, why don't you take it away and introduce yourself, extend that bio, because I obviously did not do you justice. Like you've got a lot going on and a lot of cool stuff. Um, So so tell me about it. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, So yeah, like you said, my name is Courtney Carson. I spent a little over six years grooming for Doug Payne with his event horses and show jumping operation. So I got to do a lot of fun stuff there. Um, groomed at uh, several Kentuckys, got to go be a part of the Pan Am team in Lima, and then went to Tokyo in 2021, which was probably like the highlight of my career. So since then, um, and having traveled a bunch and done some things, and I mean, Tyler, I'm sure you've got, you know, some thoughts on this as well. You know, the grooms are kind of the last thought at every event, you know, these organizations go into planning the stalls, the venue, the spectators, the riders, and then it's like, well, wait, what about the people that are actually spending more hours on the ground than anyone? And so following Burley in 2019, I really pushed that the grooms needed some kind of representation at the FEI level. And it kind of went through a couple of channels. Doug's mother, Marilyn, went to the FEI General Assembly and brought it up. Um, She was sitting, I believe, in a board position at the time. And it kind of traveled from there, looped around back to Lucy Catan, who was the founding director of the BGA, which has now been in existence for 16 years. It's kind of crazy. And so she got the wheels rolling to have an international grooms organization that the FEI actually has recognized and is working with, which is huge for the FEI to be like, you have a seat at the table, you have a voice in the conversation. Um, So then when Lucy started posting that we were going to have this and asked if anyone was interested, I was the first person to email. I was like, this is what I wanted to get started. I'm so glad that somebody's had the time and the energy and the resources to really like dive into this and get it going. Um, And so the IGA came about Kentucky week of 2022 
Um, we were all at Kentucky when they signed the MOU with the FEI, and that was a huge step. Um, Max Corcoran's on the board with me as well. And then when I stepped back from grooming full time, had a conversation with Lucy, we really needed someone that was like boots on the ground here in the US. Because um, a lot of the venues here felt like it was a very European based company, and we needed to expand this way. And so part-time, you know, I do this three or four days a week. I sit at my computer and I email and call event organizers and sponsors and, you know, crank out some articles and stuff to get up on our social media pages. And yeah, having a really good time with that, you know, bringing awareness, trying to make a change. So. Yeah, no. And I absolutely like can echo everything you're saying about like grooms being last. I mean, you know, there'd be what maybe like a few stray donuts in a tent somewhere and a, wa and a water bottle for, for you. I mean, so, some events did it really good, but some events were like, oh, yeah, like you're you're grooming. Uh, good. Good. Have fun. Right. Um, so here's a voucher I, to go pay 50% for a Jules polo that says the event name on it. Yeah. Yeah. Or the grooms awards are always like brushes. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, what? I, I don't want a brush. Like, are you kidding? give me cash? <laughs> yeah. What do grooms want money? Like we, we we're underpaid. We would like some more money. Um, yeah. Anyways. So I, I'm, I've been really excited to get more into like the grooms association and everything. But before we do that, um, I feel like we've got like a lot of young listeners that are getting into the industry, like starting a career. Um, I feel like I looking back, like I wish that grooming and these resources were available when I was a groom because like I wanted to do it forever. Right. And it was just like the lifestyle that sort of prevented that career going forward. Um, so take me through just just what got you into grooming? Like, did you start out riding first? Did you do any education? Were you a working student? Like, kind of take me through your path and your career. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's a roller coaster of a story. Um, so I actually I was in pony club growing up um, and probably my most successful ventures in pony club was actually as a stable manager at my first couple of um, rallies. And I learned a ton that way. And um, we were really lucky in the Midwest region because we didn't do like D rally and C rally. You were on a team kind of of all these levels and they did coefficients a lot like how the intercollegiate stuff will do. And so my first two rallies, like as a D3, I was on a team with an HA and an A. And so I had all this horse management experience in the form of like two 16 year olds to kind of teach and guide me. And I'm a crazy type A person. I love to be really organized. Um, I love to be busy. I've never not known being busy in my life. And so it just kind of led me to always wanting to be better. Like I was going to every clinic I could and, you know, both like I would ride a horse in the morning and then I'd go sit during the lecture at noon and then I'd get on a horse in the afternoon, you know, on top of like having to do chores and stuff. So um, I produced a few thoroughbreds up through like preliminary intermediate level while I was in high school and college. And that was really good. Um, I grew up with the O'Donoghue sisters. We was really close with them, did pony club with them. They're great. I love them. Um, learned a ton in that barn though. Like their whole family's immersed in the sport. And then thankfully through them, I was able to get, you know, connected with Jan Benny and I worked for her some and I worked for Sam Burton while I was in college who she groomed for David way back in the day. And then she actually, they've got um, a good barn there with a lot of kids. And I really learned about the horsemanship and the grooming stuff from her while I was there and 
kind of all the ins and outs of like running a barn, both with clients and with lesson ponies and things. Um, and so then didn't really know what I wanted to do, like as a big kid job when I got out of college and found a grooming job for a show jumper in New York state and was kind of like, well, I could go do that for a little bit, you know, and flew up there for a month trial, found that I really enjoyed the grooming. Um, but from a show jumper standpoint, you know, it's one of those, like we had six horses and three grooms and I'd never known that kind of luxurious life of <laughs> not running around like crazy. And so, um, and I missed the eventing. I really did miss the eventing and, um, Doug and Jess were looking for somebody. And so, you know, it was simple Facebook messages, honestly, like for anyone wanting to get into it, you know, find riders that you appreciate their horsemanship, you know, find riders that have a good team that don't have a high turnover of grooms and working students. Cause that's the kind of environment you want to be in and who you want to learn from is someone that knows the program you know, better than they know themselves and, you know, send an email, send, you know, pick up the phone, send a Facebook message an Instagram message, you know, start asking about positions and what they entail and, you know, and don't be afraid to go work for a smaller rider, you know, find a three-star rider that wants a working student because you're probably going to get more individual help and you're going to learn more in that sense. You know, you go to some of these big programs they're on the road so often that it's like you get help two to three days a week. And then the rest of the time you're kind of on your own, you know, cleaning stalls and riding horses and lunging and just doing barn work. Um, but every program is different and people are in different, different environments. So, you know, if you don't feel like you thrive in one environment, don't be discouraged and think that the industry is not for you. There's a million different situations. And, um, you know, I'm really good friends with people who, would not have handled the chaos of Doug and Jess and our, you know, wild circus that we ran. But I know like I didn't do well in Agatha's program because it was not enough chaos for me and there's nothing wrong with either situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I, uh, I think you're a saint for with Doug doing the show jumping, like Jenny would be <laughs> like, I want to go to this show jumping show. And I'm like, ah, I hate show jumping shows. Like, take somebody else. Like, me, you, you give me the time that the horse needs to be ready, and that horse will be ready. I'm not standing by a ring for hours waiting for a course to go. It was so funny. The first jumper show that I went to with them, I had been working for them for like three days, and we took. 14 or 15 horses, something like that. I knew like four horses names and we got there and <laughs> we were in, we're at Trine and we were in barn four. And this was before they built like all the lower rings. So it was like uh, ring four and then the stadium. And I could look out the window of the tack room to see like when he was getting ready to go in the ring with one horse that I could lead the next one out because there was nothing like you had no idea what was going on. And I would just like run back and forth to those two rings. <laughs> Uh, we took we took like three to a show and, and this was I started I started making a rule I'm like we could take two or we could take four but we absolutely <laughs> cannot take three because none of the horses wanted to stand alone on the trailer yeah. and I was like so I'm there like holding two horses like switching tack like I just absolutely you want to go show jumping nah take someone else like that's that I'm, was... I'm, I'm an eventing group 
That was always our problem in Aiken in the winters, like with the mini pre's, because we would take everything, like any event horse going advanced, and then, you know, our like three jumpers, because the mini pre's are 130, 135, you know, so it's like advanced height's a little bit bigger. And we would have six horses in the mini pre, but there's only 12 horses total in it. And I'm like, I don't even have six employees to help with this, you know, and then it was okay until then Jess had the kids because then it's like, oh, now we've got small humans running around as well. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. The well, only I difference could... would have been if we could have had Jenny's goat. Like that would have been the only thing to make it better. Yeah, no, seriously, seriously. Um, how do you feel like you're, obviously like you spent a lot of time with like Doug and Jess, right? Like six years is like not a grooming stint to be ashamed of at all. Like that's, <laughs> you know... Uh, at the same place on top of it how do you think your time there would have been different if the international grooms association had been around like when you were grooming yeah i mean it's interesting i think that it would have um probably made my trips overseas my first couple a little bit smoother um especially like when we went to blenheim um which was my first international trip with the horses there were a lot of Americans there, but I, myself and Kim Severson, like, and so Andy Lawrence flew with Cross, um, were the only ones that came from the U.S. And I actually think Cross might have been there in Ireland, so he didn't even fly. But, like, I was alone. And not having, because I had only been working for Doug and Jess for, like, a year at the time. So I had a couple of friends in the industry, but not, you know, near the network I have now. And being a young groom, it wasn't like I was brave enough to pick up the phone and call Emma Ford and be like, hey, I've never flown with a horse before. Like, what tips and tricks do you have, you know? And so I kind of went blindly into that. And that's a big thing that we're trying to do with the IGA is have those resources. You know, if you've never flown with a horse before or if you've never shipped to like Rebecca before, you know, here's these quick links that you can click on and Pretty much when I write these pages, I'm like, okay, what have I done wrong <laughs> that I don't want someone else to do wrong? <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but it was just things like to put in my flight bag, things I couldn't, couldn't take that then, you know, we're loading the horse on the trailer and the, you know, in-flight staff is like telling me I can't take this and I'm trying to figure out how to get it repacked because all my stuff's in cargo, you know? Um, and two, it would have then had, like, we're trying to make you know, this network worldwide so that if you do go to a horse show alone overseas, it's like, hey, I forgot such and such, you know, who's here that can help me out type of thing. And I think creating that network and that type of camaraderie would have made, you know, I have great stories from it. And I'm a pretty, you know, tough person and pretty (laughs) resourceful. But, you know, it could have been very overwhelming at the same time, you know, for someone that doesn't have kind of that, like, demeanor go with the flow you know attitude about it so I'm hoping that you know we encourage more people to want to stay in the industry and not to get discouraged because they have the resources to answer a lot of these questions before you know they forget something and they get screamed at like no and and I feel like that's like when you're in such a high pressure situation like all the rider sees is a mistake and like as a groom, you don't know what you don't know. Like I think of like yeah, the exactly 
I mean, I think about the poor horses that I took care of in like my first working student job, and I'm like, <laughs> how are they alive? Like, I didn't, yeah, yeah, I didn't know anything. Like, you, you see pictures of braids that I was like super proud of, like getting paid. <laughs> I was like, someone paid me thirty dollars for these braids. I'm like, oh my god, like I owe that person thirty dollars, right? I like, used to get paid to rubber band in braids. I can't even like I try to rubber band in braids now, and I'm like, how did I do this and go in the ring? Like. Fun fact, um, Alexa, rubber band braids at the five-star level. <laughs> there are a lot of people, like the jumper grooms do it all the time and they're beautiful. I just am not good at them and I cannot believe that I asked money for this at some point in my life. <laughs> oh, and I, I didn't know how to do forelock braids. So I would literally just do like a button braid on the forelock and I had a quarter <laughs> horse cross that like literally had the biggest forelock ever I'll have to post the the picture when we post this episode Does it have like the I weird mean, almost like figure eight in it where it's like tied it's together there just like I don't even know I was like well I don't know how to do that I still barely know how to do forelock braids honestly like they're so hard um but yeah, no, I mean, you think about going overseas with horses, like I was so lucky. Uh, I had Emma as a mentor because I had yeah. been with Kevin and I got to know Emma really well through that. And Max Corcoran went on the first trip that I went on too. So she was like holding my hand <laughs> and just making sure everything was okay. Um, but even like you go and you get plopped out in this airport and it's two o'clock in the morning and you're going through the back entrance and the lady at the desk like doesn't speak any English and you're just like am, am I gonna see my horse again like is this real right. is this happening yeah and also <laughs> the worst for me I wrote about it because I like blogged for the Chronicle when we went to Blenheim but yeah. there was <laughs> because we flew with horse flight Doug and Jess have known Emil for forever you know they've flown with them a bunch when they're great like you know I don't have any qualms between due to horse flight you know like I stay out of that mess I love them both but so we were originally going to fly out of Miami and at the time Quinn was going to be the only horse on the flight and so you know they talked about it and it was like, well, it's going to cost more like to do just the horse, you know, and nobody else because we have to have an in-flight groom and then your groom still has to have a ticket and blah, blah, blah. And then Amos was like, well, do you think your girl could like do the stuff to be the in-flight groom? And Jess was like, oh yeah, not a problem. Like she's cool with all that, you know? So I go through, I like do my training. I get certified to be an in-flight groom. Well, then the hurricane's coming through Florida. So they changed my flight to go out of JFK. Not a big deal, right? I'm like, sweet. I'm just back to normal. I don't have to worry about this. There's like 12 horses on this flight, all this and that. I'm the last horse to load on the pallet. And then they're like, because it's a combi plane, you know, so it's passenger plane. They have to yep. take me to the front desk, like shove me through security to get my boarding pass. And I get up there and I'm in jeans and a sweatshirt because it's pouring down rain in New York in September. And the woman at the desk looks at me and she goes, oh, you're on an employee ticket. You can't fly dressed like that. And I'm like, I can't what? And she goes, yeah, no denim and no spandex. And I'm sitting here going, I'm going to England in September. Like, all I have is jeans and stuff to sleep in. Like, what do you mean? So I'm, like, digging through my bag trying to find anything that might be acceptable to fly in. And I find this white pair of jeans that I had, like, somehow shoved in there to maybe go to dinner in. And I yanked them out. And I was like, is there any way I can wear these? Like, literally, they're, like, boarding my flight at this point, you know? <laughs> And she's like, yeah, I guess those are fine. So I rip them on. I go running down there. And then, you know, you get in the pallets with the horses during takeoff, which is black rubber ramps. 
that are now soaked. So I'm standing in there like braced against the front ramp to lead the horses off of taking off. I go back in to sit down at my seat. When we land in Amsterdam, I get up to walk off the plane and the girl sitting next to me is like, honey, your pants. And I have black streaks across the back of my white jeans from where I've been like plastered against this ramp. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> like, oh, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to find more pants to fly home on. Thankfully going home, I wasn't on like an employee ticket, but it was, <laughs> I was like, what is happening to me? <laughs> It's always something like uh, when we went to Lemulin, we were like some of the first horses to go overseas, like post COVID for that Lemulin. Oh, geez. And, and we had the wrong COVID test. So oh, like, yeah. morning of like we're supposed to be getting on the plane with the horses. We are in the packed line of last minute COVID tests, like trying to get this PCR <laughs> COVID test. And it was absolutely stressful, absolutely ridiculous. Not a single person asked me to see that goddamn COVID test. Like, oh, of course not. No, no, no. Of course not. Anyway, so lots of fun and excitement as a group. <laughs> lots of things that you can look forward to. But there's a resource now, right? Because, like, yeah. me, if, like, you and I had been, like, able to get on some sort of you know group chat or function or right. group thing and been like hey I'm about to go overseas like I need some help I have no clue what I'm doing and they can give you someone that me and I can laugh about all the mistakes that I've made and be like hey like here's my checklist here's my packing list here's how I yep. fill, filled out my carnet forms like here's what they care about right. um so much easier right? like as soon as you've done it once it becomes easy. Like going overseas isn't a big yeah. deal if you know what you're doing. But when you don't know what yeah. you're doing, there's such a huge gap. And to your point, getting yelled at because you don't know what you're doing isn't going to make you just magically remember the right things and, and know what you're right. going to need for overseas. But uh, I actually, uh, I I pride myself on packing light for overseas. Like we like, <laughs> we're like trunks and like uh and a muck tub and I was ready to yeah. go and, but I would like I would pour all of my shampoos into like travel size containers yeah yeah and bring like just what I because Jenny was like we pay per the pound I was like uh-huh all right bet let's go right serious See, but then I've got the opposite so well okay first off they told us to go to Tokyo which meant a two-week layover at Aachen first that we could take three Stanley trunks okay and everybody was like, excuse us, you want us to take what? You know, so of course, I like, I Tetris it all in. And we like, we have a big Euro trunk, you know, so I got all my saddles in that instead of having to like shove them in a Stanley. And, you know, I felt good, like, because I had my one Euro trunk and then my two Stanleys. Well, then we show up at Gladstone to load. And Emma was just like, Philip didn't care. She has like six trunks and the stretching machine and Boyd's got duffel bags. And I'm like, Guys, like I, I tried, I tried really hard, you know. But it was just hard because we had like all of our schooling stuff that we needed for the two weeks. Then your competition stuff when you actually get to Tokyo and no laundry anywhere. It was just like, yeah, that was funny. But then on other trips that we've gone on, um, because we did when Hudson was less than a year old, we went to Bucolo and then we turned around and we went straight to Lyon with the Quantum Leap horse as a seven-year-old. So we were there for a long time. Um, well, when Doug and Jess came over, they almost lost the stroller. No. Because they flew through Iceland. So the stroller almost didn't make it to their connection. So the next thing you know, I get the stroller. 
to ship from Bucolo all the way down to France. And then I have to fly home with it. And so all of the transportation guys are like, where's your baby? Where's your baby? Where's your stroller? Oh my God. Thanks guys. I went back for Burley in 2019 and they were all like, did you bring your baby with you this time? I was like, this is not a funny joke anymore. <laughs> that, uh, the one thing that I feel like they don't tell you is how many times you have to move the trunks too. Yes. Right? Yes. So the first year I went, I we didn't even have trunks that had wheels. And I had yeah. these giant obnoxious trunks without <laughs> wheels and yeah I didn't like you move them you get there you take them off like you put them on the trailer you go to this yeah. like other barn like you have to move the <laughs> trunks like seven times so even if right. someone had just told me like hey like make sure you have a Stanley trunk with wheels on it well and to have there. one that you could ride out of for a couple of days because yep. half the time too there's no communication about like are you going straight to the venue are you laying over at somebody else's farm like and then if you get to somebody else's farm you've got to unpack everything to get to your polo wraps at the bottom of this trunk because they fit at the bottom with no air so you've like jammed them in there and yeah then you're unpacking and repacking six times <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, Bookalo 2021 too. Like, did they, our equipment, <laughs> our equipment didn't make it like the first day. Like, we literally had to wait a whole entire day for our equipment. And I was like, I'm sorry, Foxy. Like, I, luckily, yeah. Tam- Tammy was over there. So she had like a bunch of blankets and stuff. But right. I was like, I- I've got nothing for you. Your flight yeah. bag is so small. But yeah, lots yep. of, lots of stuff uh, for being a groom and being prepared for grooming um what about like your take on the mental health side of things like I want to talk a little bit about balance your experience um and if anything like is the IGA like working on that is there resources for that as well yeah so the IGA like we're big big you know advocates for mental health and you know trying to give the resources, you know, it's hard because it's like, it's different in every country, but the same. So it's like, it's not like we're going to put a list of therapists up there that you can call, you know, but it's very much like, don't be afraid to take the time for yourself. I mean, you know how it is. Like we, (laughs) you don't do this job. We've already said it. You don't do this job to get rich. Like you're not going to make six figures grooming, no matter how much the industry changes. And it's one of those that like the, those of us that do it for a long time, we do it because we love it and because we love the horses and because we're competitive people in general, like you have to be, cause you have to want your horses to do well. And you have to be willing to give that extra 10% on a Saturday night of a five star and then dig deep Sunday morning to get up, to get back into the barn, to have them ready for a trot up. Like that's not a secret, but so many of us then end up, um, a little bit blinded in the fact that then we don't take any time for a balance for ourselves, you know, and when it's competition season and you've got young horses going one weekend and then your big horses going the next, you get home late Sunday night, you might sleep in Monday morning, but you're back at the barn Monday afternoon because it's like, no, I have to do the laundry and I have to repack and I have to put eyes on my horses and I have to feel their legs. And the next thing you know, when did you take a day off last? When did you take an afternoon off? When did you go do your own laundry or go to the doctor yourself or do anything like that? And a lot of it, I think, begins with communication with your boss to start with. It's, you know, sitting down and setting those expectations when you get hired. But Mm -hmm. how many of us are guilty of going, 
oh, I'm talking to such and such big name rider. They're offering me a job and they're offering me X amount of dollars a week plus my housing. This is a really good deal. I'm going to sign up and I'm going to go. And you don't ask any other questions. Yep. And it's not what's my vacation situation. Um, what are you going to do if we end up short staffed to make sure that I get my days off so I don't end up burnout? How are you? What's my maximum number of horses that you're going to require me to take to a horse show, you know, without help? And then at what point, you know, is this working students? Is it paid help? Like, what are the responsibilities of other people in the barn? Do you delegate this? Do I delegate that? And I think so many people get out of the industry because they end up burnout because they don't have those conversations up front or soon enough. And then the next thing you know, everyone's mad because someone feels like they're getting overworked and that they don't have enough help and it's too many horses and they're not getting paid enough and they don't get vacation and they don't get days off and all this and that. And so then instead of remedying the situation, they just throw their hands up and quit and walk out. And this is why we're losing grooms, you know, and I think too, it's one of those, like, there's got to stop being this, you know, hate towards grooms that don't want to be on the road 50 weeks a year. Right. Like, I don't think that there's any issue with a barn that wants to be on the road, you know, 35 to 45 weeks a year, having two grooms that travel and splitting the time on the road. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so we're doing a lot, um, you know, we're wanting to get a job board up, but anyone that goes on our job board and pays for our classifieds has to practice good employment practices. Like they have to be able to show us that they're going to pay a living wage, give time off, you know, if they don't have benefits available because the way the business is structured, be able to pay enough so that grooms can have benefits too. Because a lot of the mental health struggle comes with the, I can't pay for a doctor bill if I get hurt. Right, right. Yeah, no. And that's like, you know, if you have a decent salary and you go through the marketplace, like your health insurance is going to be affordable, but only yeah. if your salary can can afford that. But like to your point, um, I I struggle a lot with this like fraudulent identity, like because when I yeah. worked for Denny, I sent working students like to the lower level horse shows like I didn't yeah. want to burn myself out. And so mm -hmm. like my last year working for Jenny in Florida, like I was in Florida for like six weeks before I even stepped foot at a horse show right. because I was like, why am I going to burn myself out going to groom for these lower level horses when all of my upper level horses are staying home? I could exactly. get extra eyes on them, do extra therapies with them, mm -hmm. lunch them, like, you know, do a relationship with them. And my working student can get exposure grooming for the novice and training level right. horses. And I thought it was a great system and I loved it. And I, you know, yeah. I would go to the big shows with my big horses and I felt mentally healthy. Jenny gave me extra time to do my schoolwork. Like it was a yeah. very, very healthy situation. I took vacations. I took time yeah. off and I wasn't burnt out. And the only reason I left was because I needed to finish my doctorate, not because I didn't right. like, <laughs> have a healthy and happy working environment. But like that sort of situation would have been sustainable and like can yes. be sustainable but so many people don't provide it and even the fact that I had that sort of like crunching in the gut like looking at someone like Steph Simpson that like it's just mm -hmm. like I don't take a day off because I don't even like need a day off and I love it like I right. love her work ethic but at some 
her fiance works with her and stuff. So like, there's like exactly. a different scenario there. She gets her balance in her work life, mm-hmm. but, but there is a lot to be said about like, hey if you can provide this opportunity to burn your people out less, you're going to get more out of it in the long run. Would you rather Mm -hmm. have one groom be good to you for a year and then get pissed off and leave or have two grooms that want to stay with you for 10 years because they just love their lives and they love their job? Yeah, exactly. And that was, you know, I mean, and I absolutely loved working for Doug and Jess. Like it was, you know, other things in life that led me to leaving, you know, it was not a like, I don't like this. I don't like you guys. I'm out. I'm done, you know, type of thing. But, you know, my boyfriend and I were talking about it and he works in corporate America and he's in the last couple of years, you know, gotten to that point where now he has to start taking on mentees and he's had one that he mentored for like six months or so who then took a job with another company. And you know, he was discouraged about it at first. And now he's got two really great ones that he's actually in Nashville with right now. And it's one of those that it's like, you know, it goes back to the, you know, what happens if we educate our people and they leave, you know, but the counter to that is what happens if we don't and they stay. So why would Barnes, like you look at McLean's program of Lee, who's been there forever. And you know, Lee still goes to all the big horse shows, like all the really big stuff Lee is at as, you know, kind of like McLean's little, I'm not going to say security blanket, but he's there's reassurance. He knows these horses inside and out. He knows the world inside and out. Like there is nothing that is going to rattle Lee in that sense, but he does not go as the groom. Whoever is working for McLean and it's been Virginia now for several years, she goes, she is McLean's groom. She does everything with the horses. It is her job. It is her show. But Lee is there if she needs help. And, you know, why are riders not looking to develop programs like this, where you come in as a working student, or even if you come in as a groom or an assistant groom, and you work as a travel groom for a while, and then, you know, like, I would have loved to have been able to develop a situation at Doug's where then I transitioned into just their home barn manager but then went to like Kentucky if we took several horses or like if we took, I think they have 15 horses at Tryon right now. You know, if you have four FEI horses at Tryon, but a bunch of young stuff, like I could come, that's close enough. I could come in for the weekend for the big class, help hold hands, you know, direct things, do whatever. But mostly my priority would be being at home because then you don't have to worry about having a situation like you where you send a bunch of working students to the horse show and nobody at home is qualified with eyes on the big horses, you know, and who cares if it means that you have a groom that comes in and works for two or three years and then transitions to somebody else or to something else, whether it's being a steward or a judge or, you know, work for a tap company or something like if they find that grooming is not for them and barn management's not the way that they want to go, you've trained them and you've given them the skills and you've given a good employee back into the horse world. Yep. You know, and I think if we could start to encourage, you know, riders to develop programs like this, you're not going to see so many people that are hot flashes in the pan in for a year or so, and then they're gone. Because we don't have enough people coming into the job field to sustain a timeline like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, how do you feel like, is there anything for like the unpaid working student type lifestyle that like you guys have talked about or you have opinions about yourself? Like what's, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about being an unpaid working student um, because I was one, you know, but it's, it's hard because there's, you know, there's like three different levels to it. So there's the paid working student, there's the unpaid working student that gets everything for free and just has to have their money budgeted up front to pay for shows, groceries, bills, et cetera. And then there's the working student that still pays to be there. Yep. And, you know, and then receives no money in return. And unfortunately, at that point, you almost just need to be a client. Yep. Because then you run into the culture of, well, they're paying to be here. So can you really tell them to be at the barn at five in the morning? Well, they've signed up to do this job. So unfortunately, like, yes, that's it. But then they are still paying, whether it's board or rent or whatever, you know, um, the unpaid working student that is, it's hard because coming from the Midwest, like those were really kind of the only opportunities that a lot of us had mm-hmm. was to agree to sign up to work for no money to get the experience, you know? And I think if you can objectively look at it and if that's what you decide you want to do and you want to save money and go do it, do it for three months, work for somebody, get a feel for the industry, you know, gain some skills. So that then you can turn around and when you go back, you can either go, hey, I've already worked for you. I was a good employee. I worked hard, blah, blah, blah. But now we're going to negotiate. I want to get paid or we're going to set my hours so that I can go make money somewhere else. Yep. Yeah. You know, like I don't think budgeting and saving money to go work for somebody for three months kind of like as a summer internship is the worst thing. But these people that are unpaid working students for six months, nine months, a year indefinitely, like that's, that's abuse of the system. And it's another reason why people don't want to stay because they feel like there's no, you know, path at that point. Well, and, and it, it's the, it's the lack of the ability to grow too, right? Mm -hmm. Like for me, I feel like once you're a really good groom, like you're a really good groom and you're mm-hmm. making your salary and this, that, or the other. And like, if we can structure the way that we start differently, we can structure yeah. the way that we grow differently. And that is such yeah. a huge change. And as someone who studies mental health and is in the mental health field, the one thing that I feel like takes so much of working students there's there's a theory um that's tied into motivation and it's called self determination mm-hmm. theory and it posits that people need three things autonomy relatedness and competence and if you look at the model of the equestrian industry and you look at the jobs that we're giving autonomy you don't have any of it like i used to wear the yeah. i i i haven't gone to the dentist in 3 years as a chip on my yes. shoulder but that's yeah. like that's not that's like you don't have choice like you don't know when right. your day off is going to be so you can't make any plans so you're mm-hmm. living someone else's life 
relatedness. Yeah. Like if you go to a big barn where there's lots of working students, you might get some sort of sense of connection. But like my first couple jobs, it was me, maybe one other person, maybe not. Like mm-hmm. I, it, it, it was me and the horses. So my sense of connection and my sense of friendship, unless I got it outside of the barn, which guess what? I was too tired and too run down. Uh-huh. Didn't yep. have it. And then competence. Yeah, you're you're trying to get good at stuff, but you have someone telling you in your ear that you're not good enough all the time and that you suck and that you need to get better. Yep. And all of these things are stripped away. And those are literally our basic human needs to feel motivated mm-hmm. in what we're doing. Yep. No, completely. Well, and I think too, you know, this is what, so I've been talking to Eric Strauss and the international jumping stakeholders and it's like, okay, well, why do we not have stewards and judges and show managers and stable managers and things because when people decide to get out of the industry they're done because it's like okay I'm leaving this job and I would like to go be a steward oh but wait it takes time to shadow stewards it takes money to get to these classes you know and it's going to take a year to get certified so why are we not setting up programs where it's like, okay, so for instance, I decide that I only want to groom until the end of this year. So now let's make a plan. My rider hires the next person for me to work with. And then as we get towards the end of the year, I can start, you know, well, one, we have a plan, you know, like we're hoping to map this out and have essentially like what you need to budget to take your stewarding classes or to go judge with somebody, you know, whatever. But you know, if you're at Tryon and there's already stewards walking around, you could shadow a steward for an afternoon and get six hours shadowing a steward. But it means that your rider has to give you that flexibility within the schedule to go do that. Yep. You know, and not go, well, no, you're working for me. So you have to clean my stalls all afternoon. You can't go shadow and you can't ever grow and you can't do anything like that. You know, so it's like we're killing our sport from all sides with that type of mentality. Like yeah. everyone should want everyone to, you know, want to get better and want to grow. And also too, I think a lot of these riders get the feeling that like grooming is supposed to be a permanent position in life and that you become setting it once you get there. And that's, that's a horrible attitude to have for anyone in any type of a business mindset. Yeah, yeah, no. And I think like if you've got those opportunities for growth, if you're able to feel like you're learning and and doing things I just did um I, I'm doing a series with Eventing Nation called like Between the Ears where yeah. I'm talking about like confidence and I interviewed Steph Simpson and she she said the one thing that I do when I'm feeling burnt out is I learn something new. And I just yep love that because like she has the opportunity to do that to talk to the body workers Mm -hmm. to talk to the barriers to get some sort of skill that's going to make her feel like she's doing her job better and I feel like people are like oh you're a groom like you should be this like I had a position where like there was owners that were like really like interested and involved in like growing Mm -hmm. They were paying for the riders sport and performance psychology they were doing this that and the other and I was like I would love to take anatomy courses. Like I would love to learn about body work. Like, do you think they could do that for me? And it was just like, nope, shoved aside. Right. And it was Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're the groom. I'm like, how, how much do you think anatomy could benefit a groom? Like you, you take that, you spend that money and you say like, here, learn about this, get interested in it. Like when I was interested in the profession, there's a reason that I pivoted from being a groom and a barn manager and, and went to be a vet tech for a year and a half because I was like, I want to learn about 
what happens with injections? Mm -hmm. Like what, what's the cycle? Uh, what are the injuries in legs? Like I, I needed a education of what injuries looked like and felt like mm -hmm. and how you dealt with them and what the drugs are. And that made me a better groom. And so to think like you're stuck into a box is just like, it's, it sucks because the, the horse yeah. industry says you have to be this kind of horse person. And a horse person mm -hmm. is someone that wakes up and they think about horses and they look at horses and then they go to bed. And when mm -hmm. I was grooming for Jenny, like, knock on wood I think I did a pretty good job and I yeah. was getting my doctorate I did jujitsu like six times a week I like always made time for that I talked to you know even even Emma Ford she loved to dance and and yeah the, the times that she couldn't go dance you could see it I'm like you would be mm -hmm. better doing your work if you could go dance yes. if you could go but she was stuck in that culture of like this is the job and this is what it is mm -hmm. pick something outside of horses that you're passionate yeah. about and be able to do that too right like even if yeah. it's just going to the local body pump class at your gym or something that's mm -hmm. a sense of community a sense of movement like being able to have that balance is so important and if more people like stand up for it and say like no like I want to hit the yoga class on Wednesday night yep. I need to be done by five o'clock because yoga starts at 5 45 and like this, right. is, this is good for my physical health this is good for my mental health and mm -hmm. I'm gonna because of it and quite frankly I don't see any reason why a well-staffed barn can't be done by 5 p.m oh for sure or even you know okay so getting out like you're worried that you might be stuck you know because you're trying to pack for a horse show or you have to body clip a bunch of horses or something like that so look at your boss and go hey I'm gonna go to the 7 a.m yoga class and these three other people are going to feed and bring horses in and start on stalls. And it might take us like, we might not have all the stalls done by the time you start riding, like we do almost every other morning, but I'm going to feel so much better mentally that I'm going to come in and I'm going to be charged and ready to go. And we're going to rock through this the rest of the day. Yeah. And it's just, it's a little bit, you know, you see riders that go to seven and 8am fitness classes and personal trainers and everything else. But there's no flexibility for their groom and their barn staff for some right. reason. Right. And that's, you know? that's the, it's easy. It's easy to say like the job is cool and fine when you're making your own schedule and you have the autonomy, right? Uh -huh. Like they, they yep. have the autonomy to say, I'm not going to come in until nine today, or I'm going to take today off. Like you guys can ride the horses. You guys can lunch mm -hmm. the horses. When you don't have that piece of autonomy, that and, and I'm not saying like the groom's in charge and they should do everything, right. whatever. But like, even if a rider can send me a loose schedule of like when they want to be on each horse, like of yeah. a timeline, like, oh, uh, 9 a.m. I'm riding this horse, 10 a.m. It's this horse, even if it's every hour, even if you want to ride yeah. your horse for two hours, if right. it's written down on a piece of paper, like people do books, they do plans, mm -hmm. they do that, but there's never a timeline to it. So it's just like right. it will it will get done when it gets done. Okay, yeah. but if if you tell me, if I see a schedule and I see that I can be done by 4.30, if I work hard to uh -huh. get everything else done while you're riding, I'm going to yeah. work really hard. But if yeah. I'm not sure when the day is going to end because you were at your yoga class in the morning and you didn't mm -hmm. start riding until then, I'm going to be pissed off. Yeah. No, exactly. Or it's like the whole, you know oh, well, we have something to do in the morning. So we'll just call you when we're on our way. 
Yep. Well, what, what does that mean? So can we start at seven? Can we start at seven 30 or do we need to start at six? Because I have three horses to body clip before you show up to ride the first horse and I've got to drag the ring and I've got to make sure all this laundry is going and Oh, Hey, it's, you know, the working students day off. So there's two of us instead of three of us. And so now I've got to factor all that in as well. And I would still like to be out of here before eight o'clock tonight. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, and I, and I feel like the, the biggest message that you've communicated before is that communication, right? Like being able mm -hmm. to communicate before you get the job, being able to communicate in the job with your work with IGA, with your experiences, what else do you think is like the next step forward for the industry so that we can make these jobs sustainable so that we can mm -hmm. continue to raise young kids that want to stay in it, that want to groom, that want to be a part of the horse industry? What's sort of like your vision, the IGA's vision, like next steps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the big thing that we're kind of working on, you know, in the short term, because it's one of those, like, we've got all these great big plans, right? You know, and we have to remember that the organization's only been around for a year. So, you know, we're crawling at the moment. We would love to be able to walk, hopefully, you know, before long. Um, obviously, like, building a membership base and hearing from the grooms, and it could be anybody. If you think you want to be an inner, like an FEI-level groom, you can join now and start to have access to all of these educational tools that we have. But then we also need feedback because it's so different. It's different from the East Coast to the West Coast in the U.S. It's different from the U.S. to Europe. It's different from the U.S. to Canada. And so the more that we can hear from people from vast backgrounds and locations and everything, then the more that we can start to focus what we're doing. Um, we're working really hard on having if accommodations are provided by the horse show, that they're livable, that we're not in a box with no running water. Because how many times has it been like, oh, this is great. It's easy. We'll have, you know, housing for you on the grounds. That way you don't have to drive anywhere, especially in a country you're not familiar with. And then it's a 15 minute hike to a shower that has no hot water. And, oh, guess what? You're in England in the fall. So it's pouring down rain. So now you've got to put your wellies on to get the shower and back while you're carrying all your crap, you know, like, We've all been there. It's not fun, you know, yeah, and yeah. it takes away that because you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to stay at the venue. I can, you know, have an extra drink with my friends. I can meet other grooms from all over the place. And the next thing you know, you're cold and wet and miserable with no heat in your caravan. And the event's like, oh, well, it's good enough. You have housing here. Well, yeah. no, it's it's not, you know. And also, too, the other big thing is like having food access, you know, if the restaurants on the venue don't on the grounds don't open until 8am. Well, half the time by then the first horse is going in the ring. So you don't have time to run up and get food. Or how many horses have we been at that there's plenty of food that opens early, but it's a 20 minute walk. And so nobody has, you know, an hour to walk up there and stand in line and get back. Yep. You know, so we're working on things like that, that we can start to change now. Um, yep. You know, in the long term, we would love to work with um, there's a couple of different companies that we've talked to, but trying to develop an affordable grooms insurance mm -hmm. that can be purchased. Um, the BGA does insurance like this. You know, it's hard because labor laws in all the different countries are different. Um, but, you know, it could be an insurance that you purchase individually you know, we're trying to make it affordable. And if you were an IGA member, then, you know, you'd potentially have a discount to it. 
type of thing, especially if you, you know, show that you're like a member, not that we have good standing or bad standing, you know, but if you've been a member for years and you're working and stuff like that, um, and even potentially trying to develop continuing education classes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you were to go through and complete these continuing education classes, then it would be kind of like, you know, a good driver or a good student discount. You could take it and say, hey, look, I've learned about safe horse handling and clean sports situations and safe truck and trailer, you know, driving techniques and all this and that, you know, and then it's like, look, I am a low risk individual because I've taken a lunging course with somebody or whatever, you know, we're very much in the baby steps of that. And then also having two tiers of it though, because like for you and I working for Jenny and for Doug, you know, if you broke your arm, you weren't going to get fired. Right. Most likely, you know? So it's like, yeah, I'm still going to be able to hobble around the barn and kind of direct people and still have my eyes on the horses. But if I'm a freelancer or if I'm contracted for somebody in Wellington for 10 weeks and I break my arm, well, they've got to have somebody else in. So I'm getting booted, which means I'm losing my income and potentially my housing And all these other things. So then having a higher premium insurance that actually has workman comps um, compensation with it. And, you know, having that like and you can choose to which one you want to purchase, but it would then give you that income security, you know, if you were to get hurt and lose your job, Um, you know, because I think, too, if we've got a little bit of a safety net. And an affordable safety net at that, then people are going to be more likely to stay in the industry. Yeah. You know, I I just there's so few and far between jobs right now that do include benefits. So that's Mm -hmm. I mean, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. So we actually we got the um, the structure from pro. I don't know if you had that. Yeah. um, Protection when it was a thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was able to, Max was there actually able to hunt down the structure that they have with that. And so um, we've sent that to a couple of different insurance companies that are working on how to rework that, you know, so trying, trying, you know, and then, like I said, we're wanting to put a job board up there and work with a couple of other companies. Um, you know, like Equistaff wants to do something with us, the recruiting firm and things like that, you know, cause I think too, to find people that don't want to necessarily be competition grooms, but still want to stay in the horse industry, you know, having access to, you know, like Emma stepped into a great situation, being able to step back and, you know, be a barn manager with a good client, but it's hard to find those if you don't know people, you know, and if all of your riders, owners and clients are in the barn with you and don't have their own farms, like it's sometimes hard to make those connections. And so, you know, to have, like I said, that career progression is a big thing that we're looking towards, you know, because I think we will get more grooms that want to stay in the industry longer if they know that there is a next step when they choose to get out instead of going, oh, my God, I'm in my early 30s. I have to get out now because I'm still attractive to a company that would train me versus staying in until you're 35, 40 or older, but knowing that you could easily and seamlessly transition to something else, you know, without having to go back to school. Yeah, no. And, and I feel like that's like the, the caveat too, that it really is something that you 
is is an age like there's a peak age for being a really top level groom with the the stress and the pressure of the job in your 20s and 30s is a is a great time to be a groom and you could probably push it to 40 if you've got something else lined up but you know someone that's 55 and has been working in the industry for 30 years is not going to have the strength to continue to lift trunks and not going to have the ability to keep up with the lifestyle and the sleep schedule and everything like that. And so, yes, it's this fine line of like grooming should be a career, right? Like a Mm -hmm. career that you can have for a long time, knowing that you're not going to have to keep up with the physical demands of it for 30 plus years. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think too, you know, getting people connected with event organizers and show secretaries, you know, Max has stepped in. She's now, you know, like the team manager for the eventing team for the US. But it's got to be though, when you're involved with the team competitions, or even at the big events, you know, you've got to be able to make these connections, you've got to have enough staff with you that you're not totally burnt out so that when you do meet somebody like Max or, you know, Jim Wolf or Shelly Page or whoever, you know, you're not covered head to toe in shavings and straw and you look like you've been on nothing but caffeine for four days because you want to be able to make a good impression and say, and have the mental energy to have a conversation with somebody of, you know, Hey, I love what I'm doing now, you know, but it might not be what I want to do forever. You know, how do I start to lay the groundwork to maybe talk to you about coming and joining you when I'm finished here? Yep. Um, you know, so I think all of that is going to end up making it a more sustainable career and job field, you know, from the ground up. And the other big thing that I really think, and, you know, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, But the big thing circling back to the mental health that nobody really talks about is, you know, what happens like with the sale or the retirement of one of your big horses, you know, because everyone talks about the rider and, you know, whether the horse is like, obviously, if your horse dies, you know, people are sympathetic to the groom as well. But it's like, okay, a rider sells a big horse, you know, um, I think even to like Doug selling crown talisman when Michelle was still working for him and tally to her was like Quinn to me, you know? And yes, the money that they sold tally for was life-changing for Doug and Jess and for the partner that they had. And I am 99% sure that they gave Michelle like some commission, you know, like, cause she had cared for him, but I mean, but a couple thousand dollars to her isn't life-changing money. Yep. And then she's also lost this horse that she's gotten up with every day and spent, you know, all of her time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears with. And that was a, you know, it was a life-changing decision for her, but not in a beneficial way, you know? And I don't think, and I mean, like I said, it was, it was different for me when Quinn retired because we had so many horses in the barn that I had started as young horses with Doug at that point so it was like I still had a bunch of my children with me but I I don't think that that's talked about enough of like what the loss of a big horse does you know to the groom in that sense 
Well, and and so I, I love that you bring that up because I was just at Kentucky, uh, you know, and I I went I went for Toddy, right? And I went because I'm like Toddy's my horse and I, I love this horse. And we're on the golf cart riding out to meet the horse at the start, and I kind of turned to everyone. I was like, I'm having so much fun because like I I care about this enough that like yeah. I'm excited for today. But it's not my future anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what a what a just like spot on thing to say when when she broke down when when mm-hmm. we were like I'm like if I was still Jenny's girl now Jenny's got a couple other really big horses yeah. and stuff like that but like that was my horse right like she was my mm-hmm. heart and yeah I was I was broken to see her so in pain and stuff like and mm-hmm. luckily. She turned around, bounced back really quickly, and like she's going to be fine, and she doesn't need to do anything competition-wise yeah. to be a horse to me. But right. if I was still grooming for Jenny, and it was, and it was my full-time job, and now all of a sudden, like my horse, my baby is going to be mm-hmm. off, off or potentially done with her career, that's such a hard pill to swallow. And I think the conversation that I have is like control right like so for when we when I talk about mental toughness I talk about is it something that you can control yes or no and as a group you lack a lot of control to your point someone's offering money your horse gets hurt like you know something happens there's a sale so much can prevent you from doing those big things doing those things so if you can't control it you really have to be able to lead into the day-to-day right like what does Mm -hmm. your day-to-day life look like and when you look at your day-to-day life without your big horse and it is I don't have time for myself I don't have vacation Mm -hmm. I I don't get to get a lunch break like all of this stuff it's why why what's the purpose if I have a good life if I have an activity or friends that I see outside of the barn on a weekly basis if I feel like I could get eight hours of sleep a night if I hydrate if I have mm-hmm. those colors in my in my life it's not gonna be so crushing when those big yes it's still gonna hurt and it's still gonna suck but at least you have stuff outside and that's a conversation mm-hmm. in, in sports psychology that we have with athletes all the time right yeah thing with the the runner that pulls their hamstring right before mm-hmm. the olympics it's athletic identity right you if you yep. identify as an athlete if something happens to take that away from you it is crushing and so if your mm-hmm. identity is as a big groom and something happens to take that horse away from you to be grooming at the big leagues like it's gonna suck but if you can identify as like I'm a groom and I enjoy this and I enjoy this and I've got time for myself and I'm able to put on my own oxygen mask first, so to speak, like Mm -hmm. not, it's not that crushing, but because of the way the industry is structured right now, your big horse falls at a competition. Even even if like, you know, you're hoping to go to the Olympics and like this, that, and, and then your rider has like a bad go of it okay like you can't control that and I think that that for me was the biggest reason why I pivoted because like I like control and I need control Mm -hmm. and I for the longest time I was like I want to groom at the Olympics like it's it's the be all end all (laughs) of everything that I want to do and like now I I can sit here and I say I don't care if I ever groom at the Olympics 
I would love to. I think it would be so much fun. And I like, I will not say no to the opportunity. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I don't wake up every day and think I'm going to go to the Olympics someday like I mm -hmm. used to. I think I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do things that I enjoy. I'm going to help riders through uh, fears and insecurities. I'm going to teach kids jujitsu. Like I'm going to the right. world championships for jujitsu next Which week. Is amazing. I don't even care if I do well, right? Like that's where I'm yeah. at with like performance and stuff like that, because it's this hard space of if you care so much, you mm -hmm. are going to get her. And at the top levels of sport, mental health is still a hard thing to navigate. And that's not yeah. just for riders, right? Like Simone Biles spoke to it so beautifully. Yeah. So this, I, I was talking to my jujitsu coach the other day. He's like, I just like, don't get your job because how can you make someone a better person and a better athlete at the same time? And I'm like, that's sport culture. That's negative sport yeah. culture saying that you have to be unhinged to be the best. You have to sacrifice exactly. to be the best. So I'm like, I don't even want to be the best. Like if that's what it takes, if I have to unhinge yeah. myself and be a psychopath and not take care of myself and like work through mm -hmm. injuries, no, I'm just going to be the best person that I can be the best version of myself that I can be. And I got to tell you what, I'm happier than I ever was uh -huh. when I wanted to ride at the Olympics, when I wanted to groom at the Olympics, when I wanted to be the best in the world, because like, I'm, I'm never going to be in the best in the world, but I could be the best version of myself. Yep. No. And that's, that's a little bit, you know, how I ended up in grooming to start with was it was like, I knew I was like, I could like, I had gone intermediate and I was like, if I, you know, have the right horse and want to, you know, work my butt off and have no money, like I can go advanced, you know, was I ever going to go around Kentucky? Probably not, you know, I mean, but who's to say like, never say never. Right. Yep. But I knew though that I am detail oriented enough and that I love the horses enough, you know, and I don't even think necessarily having to go work for Doug who had already been around Kentucky, but I knew that I could immerse myself in a program that would get me to those places, you know, not necessarily to the Olympics, but that I could go really cool places and do really cool things and do it through my love of the horses and take the pressure off of myself because you know, I would same thing. I'd be too hard on myself and then I would start making mistakes because I would strive to be perfect. And in the grooming, it's like, I've done everything I can to prepare you. You look good. Nobody can say that you don't look good in the ring. You go, it's on you. Yep. And it would actually make me more nervous because then I didn't have control over it. But at the same point in time, as it's kind of like, I've done what I can do. Here you go. And, you know, I think there's very much a balance to it, but it all depends on what level you want to compete at, you know? Like, yep. obviously, yes, if you're going to have to go, if you want to go to the Olympics and be on teams and stuff, you're going to have to work harder than the weekend warrior and the adult amateur, you know, but it's like, I've got two really, really good adult amateur friends and, you know, they want different things. The one wants to do a three-star by the end of the year and she, you know, works her tail off and she brings in people for lessons and she spent the winter in Florida, you know, and she's doing it that way. And she's She's doing everything she can to make it happen. She's bought an extra horse so that she can see more fences, you know, that kind of thing. Her kids are in college. Like, you know, she's given up a lot over the years to be there for her kids. And now she's doing this for her. Yep. And the other friend, you know, she doesn't have kids with her husband. She 
you know, does a lot with her family. She does a lot with her nieces and nephews and she loves to travel and she loves to have fun and she still loves to compete. But I finally had the conversation with her. I was like, look, you know, if you want to go preliminary, you're going to have to work harder than what you are now. But if you're happy going modified and going and hanging out on the weekends, and she's really competitive at the training and modified level, you know, and I said, if you're happy with that and you're going to use horse shows as your weekend off and a social gathering with your friends and you're going to party and drink and barbecue and all of that, like that's fine as well. There's no right answer in this situation. It is what makes you happy, you know, Mm -hmm. but you also have to recognize that, you know, you may have to have a little bit of give and take depending on what your goals are. Yep. And recognizing that's the biggest thing, you know, but I think that that's where grooms get so, you know, jammed up is it's like they, they want the ribbon and they want the medal just as much, if not more than the rider does. But at the end of the day, they're not the one that gets it. Yep. Yep. You know? And so then, and that was a big thing. Kendall Tracy actually said it to me. We were coming home from the Pan Ams and she was like, you can want your horses to win more than anybody in the world, but you have to remember at the end of the day, the horse wins, the rider wins. And you will still just be a groom. And that was when it really kind of hit me that it's like, how hard do I want to work for someone else's dreams? Yep. Yeah. And And that sounds negative. And I don't mean it in a negative way, but that's, that's what it comes up to, you know? No. And I think like, I think you articulate it really well. And I think like the point of this conversation is not to say like F being a groom, like nobody should. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I have in a heartbeat. If I was 20, I'd go back and do it again in a heartbeat. (laughs) Right. And like, I have, I have the same sentiment as you. It was just like, at some point I realized that like, I couldn't control if I was ever going to get to groom at the Olympics or not. And I had skills and an opportunity Mm -hmm. and a passion for something that could keep me in the horse industry because 90% of my clients are horse people and could help propel me forward and have a different lifestyle that opens different doors. But Mm -hmm. if grooming could be that thing that helps people explore and open different opportunities that it's not just like, hey, you're my glorified slave, then (laughs) it could be a lot better. Again, like not sounding negative, but that that is like, uh, it's... Uh, there's a podcast that I listen to that's called Chasing Excellence. And one of the things that they say all mm-hmm. the time is like, you have to embrace the harsh realities of life and the harsh yeah. realities of the ev- eventing industry specifically right now is that the structure of what it what you get as a groom is flawed fundamentally. And yeah. the relationships that riders have with their staffs is flawed fundamentally. And there are, And I'm not saying everywhere because again jenny was an absolute saint to me i took vacations yeah. I, I never skipped a day off i got paid well i had time to do my doctorate i did jujitsu i was out of the barn by four o'clock almost every day even if, right. if we have, if we had a horse show it was like maybe five o'clock like the yeah. day after a horse show who's washing the saddle pads it's not me it's the working studio. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so so like it's not that we're sitting here and we're saying, oh my God, don't be a groom. But it is that there's resources out here that we can grow and there's changes that we can make and there's conversations Mm -hmm. that we can 
have to make it better and to make more people get excited about it. Because if more people can leave the industry like you and I that are like, how can we make this better and how can we help it? It's just going to get better. Every Mm -hmm. single working student, groom, barn manager that goes and gets burnt out because they don't have the skills, resources, whatever, Mm -hmm. they're they're never going to touch a horse again. They're never going to know exactly or they're going to go work in the corporate America for 20 years and then be an adult amateur Mm -hmm. when they can afford it again. But exactly. It's just it's just hard. It's a hard conversation. Mm -hmm. No. And I really think, you know, especially to like in today's world and workforce, you know, and this was something that I had to learn being a criminal barn manager was how to handle these working students that come in at 18 years old because every year it's a new batch of 18 year olds and it's like the difference in that generation compared to you know the girls that I went to high school with that we all went out into the working world you know from our barn we had I think six of us that went to go work in barns and four of us ended up grooming like for a while you know and are still in the industry and some like I mean Like we came out and we put our nose to the ground and we worked hard. And, you know, the industry definitely has changed in that sense that like we can't have people working 100 hours a week, you know, like that we've found that that's not sustainable. But at the same point in time, like I don't want to lead anyone astray and say that like the IGA is going to sit here and say that you're going to work nine to five, five days a week. That That's not the horse world. That's not how this is. I mean, I'm you went you worked as a vet tech like. I'm working for a small animal 24 hour ER hospital right now. Like I still, I I work way better hours. I work way fewer hours than what I did in the barn, but I still work odd hours. And if something comes in that's critical, like at the end of my shift, I have to stay until it's stable. Like I can't walk out on that patient, you know? And that's a little bit of wanting to work with animals, you know, like, sorry, it snowed or there's no power. They still have to eat and they rely on us. And it's the equivalent of, you know, having children, essentially, like you are choosing to go into a workforce to care for something that we have put in a situation that it cannot serve on its own. Yep. So you have to be aware of that going into this job. But when you have those conversations looking at a job, and it's like, okay, so say they say they're going to pay $600 a week plus your housing. Okay, so let's take that $600 a week, how many hours of work a week are you expecting for that $600? And if I'm working grossly more than that, are we going to rediscuss this compensation or are you going to pay me overtime? Right. And are we going to say that this is a salaried position with bonuses or are we going to put a time clock on the wall and you want to count how many hours I'm actually here so that we can rediscuss this? Yeah. And it's not to pick on anybody. It's so that everyone feels that the agreement is fair. Yep. But so much of the horse world has always been done on a handshake and on everyone's good word that someone always gets taken advantage of in that type of a situation. So, you know, especially with the IGA, we just want to make sure that people coming into the industry or people transitioning from one job to another know that there are ways to negotiate something else. Just because someone gives you an offer doesn't mean you have to take it. Right, right. Yeah. No, and I love that. And I feel like, you know, contracts would be like a great thing for the industry like <laughs> like job do it that's literally yeah. like it, it it exists in the industry. i signed one when i was a vet tech like there's yeah it's, 
it's normal and that's so when I started the whole equestrian it was really what are other industries doing or other mm -hmm. athletes doing that were not in the eventing industry and I read books of like football coaches and leadership uh -huh. and this that and I'm like there's so much that's just like standard operating practice elsewhere in the world that just like doesn't exist right oh you're an athlete yeah. but you're gonna eat uh Lay's chips and drink Dr. Pepper yeah. for your 15 hour day of physical labor I scientifically don't know how that's possible like I think of like how yeah, group right. I'm like, how are you standing right now? What are you doing? You don't even I know. know. I know. But uh, anyway. uh, yeah, the girls at work look at me because I work from 3 p.m. to 1 a.m. most days. And I'm like, yeah, I need to get out of here. Like, I've got to be up and, you know, on my computer at eight because I'm doing all this. Stuff. They're like, how are you functioning? I'm like, this is the most sleep I've gotten in years. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I like, I, I don't know. I had like a Sunday where I like didn't do anything. I was like on the couch. I played some video games, and I called my friend that's like still in the horse industry. I was like, I think I live like a pretty normal life now. Like it's, it's really weird. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, I feel like we could talk about this for hours, but we we'll, we can yeah. start we can start winding down. But before we do, um, Emily and I always have a segment called Books, 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 where we talk about. Ah books recommendations <laughs> any book that you're either reading now or a book that helps shape your view of the world so I you know throwing it on you not sure if you're a reader or not probably not oh my gosh I'm, I'm, no 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 that's one thing like honestly probably the best thing that I ever did was I bought Kindles Unlimited and I put it on my phone so I always had a book everywhere with me Perfect. I'm Perfect. pretty sure like <laughs> especially you know at any of the big events when I'd only have like one horse it's every photo of me is me and it looks like I'm playing on my phone but I swear I'm reading um, I love it. yeah so right now um I just finished reading a Harlan Coben book called um I will find you okay I don't know I like him he's witty the chapters are short so it's easy to like pick it up for a few minutes and set it back down um he had a character in a series called Myron Bolitar that I, I read for a long time. Um, this book was not connected to him, but so I love Harlan Coben stuff. And I saw that book the other day. I read it in like three days or something. Like I couldn't put it down. I love that. Um, yeah, probably one of the biggest books that actually helped me. Um, and one of my friends, she works in corporate America. She recommended it. Um, I was struggling like I said, you know, with the working students coming in and being so much younger and a different mindset in this generation than what I had. And um, it's called Coaching and Teaching Generation Z and is from Brian Pullian, who's a football coach. Wow. And it just really, because it's like, you know, we keep getting older and then you keep taking in interns and working students and kids fresh out of college and they're all of that age, you know, and as technology changes and stuff. And it just really opened my eyes to like the expectations that I had set you know and it's a little bit it's the same thing that like we heard from our parents oh I walked uphill both ways in the snow you know five miles to school and back like you have it so much easier and it's just recognizing that you know they don't necessarily have it easier it's just different yep and and it's a little bit like and it's a big reason why I'm involved in the IGA is it's like just because we suffered through, you know, no information and no camaraderie and, you know, no resources doesn't mean the next generation has to, you yep. know, and being sympathetic and understanding to that, you know, I think, I hope it made me a better boss. I think I like to think it made me a better boss after I read it. 
you know, and self-reflected a little bit. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, those are my two big ones, but I'll read anything. So yeah, I love to read. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, no, like, I would be so excited, like, uh, for overseas trips. I'm like, how many books can I bring with me? <laughs> like that. Eric, Eric Devander would always be like, what are you reading right now? And I'm like, oh, just something yeah. about, like, you know, the neurobiology of concussions and stuff like right. that. <laughs> Like, I feel like a lot of people would take that opportunity to be like, I'm on vacation, right? Like, I'm on yeah. first. I'm like, I have so much time to read. And I did, I did schoolwork on a couple trips. So it was awesome. Uh -huh. I love yeah. that. I'm, that's an awesome um, book recommendation that also like ties into our conversation today. So I mm -hmm. super appreciate that. Um, kind of as a sign off, how can our listeners join IGA and also like, Give us your little pitch on why they should. Oh my gosh. Okay. So um, the easiest way to join is to go to our website, internationalgrooms.org. And then it's very big and bold there on the front page of joining and all of that. And I think we finally have all of the bugs worked out of the sign up process. Um, I was like the third member to sign up, but it wouldn't let me pay. So then I was just like a defunct member, even though I was sitting on the board <laughs> and it oh took almost a year to get my payment process. So that was pretty entertaining. Um, but I think all of that's, you know, sorted. Um, you know, it's one of those like you join to be a part of something and, you know, we want to be able to be that voice. Um, you know, the way that I best describe it is um, I don't know if you were at Fairhill I think in 20, is that a 2019? It must've been 2019. Cause then we moved to Tryon in 2020 for mm -hmm. the fall four star. But that was the year that um, there was no water in the morning in the young event horse stabling. Mm -hmm. And by the time, like I did my big horses up top and the girl that was helping me had mucked all the stalls down below. And then she calls me and she goes, Hey, there's no water down here. And I said, okay, it's fine. Like I'm done with the big horses. I'll go to the office. And I walked into the office and I was just like, hey, hey, you know, I'm sure you already know this, but there's no water for the young event and we're stabling. Like, I don't know how long this has been out. And the woman in the office rips my head off. She's like, we know there's no water. We're getting this taken care of, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, you know, like, thank you. But by that point in time, I was probably the 30th person that had come in to talk to her, right? So think of the IGA as the one person who can go in to address the needs of everybody underneath. Because if you go to the FBI and I go to the FBI and 15 other people go to the FBI, they're gonna be like, this is annoying, this is a nuisance. We don't need to talk about this. But if all of these grooms can come to us with their questions, concerns, changes that they want, and then the IGA can go as one unified, well put together voice, that's when we have the actual chance to make a change. You know, if you just have 15 ticked off people spouting off ideas and they're angry, nothing's ever going to get done that way. You have to come from a unified direction. And that's what the IGA can do for grooms. And also, too, we're an organization of grooms for grooms. So we can do whatever we want. You have a question or a concern or a change that you want to see as a groom, contact us. And we will do our best to figure out if we can, if it's a viable change that we can make, how we can go about making it and we'll do the legwork in the background, you know, is it, do you want continuing education courses 
that we can try to organize with former grooms. You know, we're talking about maybe trying to do a workshop for two days in Florida next winter, you know, and having some of the top grooms. We were actually just talking about this to yesterday, you know, so maybe even having like you come in and do mental health talks of how to cope with grief or stress or burnout, you know, yep. we could do a lot in 48 hours type of thing, you know. We want to have meet, you want to meet people in the industry that are grooming because you're new to it and you want to make some friends that you see at horse shows. Let us know, let us know where you're going to be going. We'll try to set up, you know, a meet and greet or drinks or dinner or something like that. You know, um, a horse show runs a late class and all the restaurants are closed and you don't have time to get up there. Let us know. We'll call them and see if they'll start doing a pizza party before the Grand Prix Saturday night. Like, but if it comes from us and from the organization, we've seen a lot more success than just grooms going and trying to do it on their own. Yep. So, you know, yep. and like I said, we're in the baby stages. We can still continue to shape this however we want to. So yep. get involved now, tell your friends, you know, the larger of a membership to have, the stronger we are. And how much is a membership? It's 16 us dollars for the full year. $16 for the year. That's like what? Two Starbucks visits? Maybe. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Depending on if you're eating or not, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, yeah. I, I feel like I always see uh, grooves with Starbucks in their hands. So you can justify, <laughs> make your own coffee at home one day, join the IGA. Uh, and I mean, you figure that's a day. If you get a coffee in the morning and a cocktail at night, you've paid for your membership. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Go ahead. Have like a, a water cleanse day, you know, <laughs> go off, go off the caffeine and the alcohol, see how it does for you. And become a part of something that like you can grow and get better right like the more people that talk about this stuff again like Courtney and I are here it's it's an uncomfortable conversation because you don't want to change something by just shitting all over it and saying like these right. are the things that are bad and it's 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 hard to come across positively when you are trying to say like here are the deficits but it's mm -hmm. not it's sad because it could be so good, right? Like, it's like, I yeah. know it could be so good and it could be such a fun job. Like how, when I tell people, when I told people what I did when I was there, oh, yeah. oh my God, I made it sound like the coolest thing. I was like, yes, I go on airplanes with horses. And like, that was honestly <laughs> like one of the, you, it is because it is amazing and it's an amazing opportunity. And like to do that over being stuck in an office, like mm -hmm. honestly, amazing stuff but we have to have this community and this coalition to make it even better for everyone that's coming up yep no exactly and like I said you know you don't have to be working for a big name rider to want to do this you know if you're going to go help your friend out at their first one star you know if you think that there's maybe a one star on the calendar at the end of the year or next year like join now you know this is not not just for team grooms, not just, you know, yes, it is the International Grooms Association and it's advertised as for FEI grooms, but, you know, until we can get a national grooms organization going, like, this is the resource we have. Use it. Take advantage of it. Like, don't be shy. And if you're not sure about joining or about what it is, like, you can reach out to me directly and ask questions, you know. Um, you can find me Instagram, Facebook. My email is Courtney at internationalgrooms.org. Like, you know, don't, don't be shy. I'll talk to anybody. Yeah. And I'll be sure to link um, all the information about the internationals grooms association, Courtney's social media, Courtney's email, everything will be in the show notes. So 
Um, if you guys are interested in getting involved, learning more, definitely feel free to reach out. Like the purpose of this podcast is to create engagement and create these conversations. So like actually take the next step to to do the networking, to join the thing, to look in more. Um, and that's how our our world and our industry is just going to keep getting better. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, like you said, you can go anywhere and do anything with it. Some of my best friends are friends that I made through grooming that live in the UK and in Europe and stuff. And it's one of those, you know, now when I get to travel for fun, I have people to go meet, you know, yeah. and to do things with. It's not like I've got to travel solo to go do these things. So, you know, Very it's cool. been, it was a really cool experience. Like I said, I would do it again in a heartbeat. <laughs> Oh, same. I, I, I don't regret a second that I spent grooming. And, and again, like, I think uh, the only reason I, I got my doctorate was probably because some of the unhappiness and some of the, like, the little negatives. And if the positives mm -hmm. had outweighed the negatives from day one, I, I think I would still be doing it to right now. Yeah. So that's the catch 22 of like, I'm glad I'm, I am where I am, but, uh, you know, yep. it is, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate your openness. Um, I appreciate you coming on and, and everything that you're doing with the IGA. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or anything that you missed? I think that's kind of it. We've talked about a lot. It's been great. I know, <laughs> I, know I know. I'm really excited to, to listen back and, uh, uh, very cool. Well, thank you so much for listening. And in the meantime, enjoy the ride.